This episode is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, late February 1995, President Bill Clinton offered some remarks in Canada in which he says this, quote, In a world darkened by ethnic conflicts that tear nations apart, Canada stands as a model of how people of different cultures can live and work together in peace, prosperity, and mutual respect. Those are pretty bland, feel-good comments. I think I saw that on a Hallmark card once. <laughs> but the context within which Clinton offered these remarks was anything but bland. He was saying this in front of the Canadian Parliament on the cusp of a referendum in Quebec over independence. The question of whether the French-speaking province would secede from the rest of Canada. That referendum was defeated in an incredibly razor-thin vote. So in this moment... Clinton offers these bland remarks, but they are generally seen as advocating against Quebec independence or maybe just as a kind of don't rock the boat kind of remarks. And you can see how this was all received when he says this. The entire Canadian parliament leaps to its feet to applaud his comments, except for the 53 members of the Quebec separatist party. So mm. let's go to 1995, the fight in Quebec. And, you know, for our purposes, why Clinton is sticking his nose into all of this or trying <laughs> not to or whatever it is. But here to discuss, as always, Nicole Hammer of Vanderbilt and Kelly Carter Jackson of Wellesley. Hello there. Bonjour, Jody. Ah, there it is. <laughs> I don't know how you say hey there. <laughs> well, and, and Quebecois French. I'm not even going to try it. It's, uh, I know. it's such a fascinating accent. Um, we've gotten a few emails about this specific moment and then um, the independence movement in general. And I think we will return to it at some point. But I was looking at some of the emails and, you know, not to put too fine a point on it but you know some of the emails are from like Marc Andre and like it's like yes okay I believe that you are <laughs> from that part of the world so thank you for thank you for those notes Jean Pierre exactly um, and look you know I mean I will say actually like I did cast about to be like is there a Canadian equivalent of our show that could come on and do this you know and I will say like we're talking here about a separatist movement in a different country it's incredibly fraught politically ethnically mm -hmm. so forth so you know we're going to do what we can and we're going to particularly talk about the clinton side of it but i think there's lots more to pull out here but um i just wanted to acknowledge that from the beginning for all our canadian listeners um <laughs> but let's go to that kind of like blandness of his remarks because as i said you know canada stands as a model of how different people of different cultures can live and work together in peace sounds like the kind of thing you would say if you just kind of like, <laughs> if you were know, Miss America, you right, were or right, or copy and pasted a speech that you'd given in Bolivia the week before, or whatever. Um, but or a uh, speech you would give if you were unaware, right? Right. Political tension. But you don't get the he feeling was. that Clinton is unaware of what he's doing. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. he decides to say these words instead of others, other more pointed ones. Why? Why do we think that? Well, I mean, I think first of all that this is diplomat language, right? That there's so much happening under the surface that unless you're keyed into the behind the scenes conversations and negotiations and meetings, um, you don't necessarily hear the full 
full frontal force of it. Um, but also, this had been a negotiation going on inside the Clinton administration about how to respond to this, because Canada is not only a neighbor of the United States and um, a country with which the U.S. has very close trade relations. But just a few years earlier, the Clinton administration had signed into law the North America Free Trade Agreement, and that had created this free trade zone with Mexico and Canada. And what would that mean if Quebec became its own independent nation? Would it be part of NAFTA? What would trade relations look like? Would the U.S. recognize it as an independent nation? There was so much to decide behind the scenes, and it is so much easier for them just to stay together for the United States. Yeah, yeah. And it was so much, I think, for him to just not come even close to talking about these issues, even in a very sort of casual, almost flippant way, like the response of, you know, the audience erupting with applause. Um, And it just, you know, if you're an outside looking in, you wonder like, why is that such a big moment? Uh, but it is, especially considering that he didn't give this months before the refer. You know, the right? Vote. This is just <laughs> days, days yeah. before. And but I mean, it is you know, it is like diplomatic language in every sense yeah. of the word, which is you know, it is both very bland, but also very, very carefully constructed. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone kind of knows exactly what he's saying or not saying there, right? And you know, as I said, in real time, people recognize what he's doing and. The separatists sit on their hands. And then a few days later, he meets with the leader of the Quebec separatist movement, who kind of is very clear, like, I didn't like that. He, you know, he says he has the right to say what he said. There is nothing in the diplomatic code that obliges me, though, to stand for something I didn't like to hear. It did not give me any enthusiasm. So, you know, I think the separatist mm. movement is very clear. The leader of the separatist movement, Lucien Bouchard, I'm sure I botched that, but um, <laughs> was, was very clear about how they viewed that. But you can see the balance in that visit because you have those very carefully considered words, but also... Clinton is the first to meet with a separatist leader. So there's also an acknowledgement that, you know, we're not just dismissing the fact that there are conflicts here and we recognize that self-determination is important. And so it's it's a very careful, but also, you know, if he had come out and said something much harsher than what he said, he could have easily triggered a backlash against like the U.S. meddling in Canadian affairs um, that could have, you know, gone the other way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because, you know, presidents prior to Clinton, Jimmy Carter in particular, everybody sort of held on to this mantra of like, we want good relations with Canada, just good relations. <laughs> we don't want to ruffle any feathers, you know, like we want to keep it nice and sweet. And, you know, uh, Clinton kind of steps on the line that is is sort of the unspoken line we're not supposed to touch, which is meddling in the affairs of, yeah. you know, our allies. I think it is actually sort of casually referred to as the mantra of just like <laughs> the U.S. and Canada. Canada have a good relationship and a bright future together. And it's just kind of like every time these two countries get together, you just basically say some version of that, if not exactly that, and you just keep it moving, right? And <laughs> But, you know, there's so many, I think the larger context of, so there's a specific separatist fight. Um, and we'll get, we could talk a little bit about the kind of how that plays out and how it's incredibly thin. Um, and we've gotten emails from listeners with memories of that. Um, mm. But there's also the larger context, and Nikki started to hint at it, of like, What else is going on? What else is on Clinton's plate? Kind of how much of a big deal it would be for Canada to be a trouble spot um, in this moment. And it's an interesting inversion of the relationship, I mean, to some extent, which is I think that, you know, often it is Canada that is a little worried about instability in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and how that will bleed over. And I think famously 
uh, Pierre Trudeau, who was prime minister of Canada in like the 60s or 70s, had this line about how us living next to you is like sleeping next to an elephant. No matter how friendly and even-tempered you are, at any moment you could wake up and start stomping around and we're in big trouble. You know, something like that. Not like, wrong. Like, yeah, but I think that like sleeping, sleeping with an elephant is like a famous line in, in U.S. Canadian politics. But like that's Canada kind of being a little worried about instability down here. And this sort of mm. reverses that dynamic in an interesting way. The other thing that I just thought about a lot just in this dynamics of what's going on here is, is Ireland. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think mm-hmm. um, especially that moment where Clinton offers these very bland remarks, but then a couple of days later meets with the leader of the separatist party. That was a dance that the U.S. had to run with Ireland a lot. And you read, I think, you know, we did that. We did that episode with that guy, Nate Levy, who did that great series about U.S. Irish mm-hmm. relationships. Patrick Ryan Keefe has written this book. And in there, there's these moments where, um, this language that Clinton employs, which is like, I acknowledge that the separatist movement has a political place, but me meeting with them does not endorse them. That felt mm-hmm. like the stance with the IRA and Sinn Féin yeah. and US, you know, the U.S. leaders meeting with Irish separatists um, for a long time. And it just kind of really struck me as that. And also, I mean, mm-hmm. specifically in this moment, right, I bet you somewhere in the back of Clinton's mind, it's also what is coming to be a you know the late 90s are defined a lot by kind of the u.s brokering what's going on in ireland as well and what's going on in europe uh and especially eastern europe and the balkans more broadly mm-hmm. it's, it's during the mm-hmm. 1990s with the dissolution of the soviet union that suddenly you have all of these independent movements and separatist movements and that mm-hmm. is leading to war in some areas it's leading to ethnic cleansing in some areas mm-hmm. and the u.s is deeply involved in a lot of that crack up And part of that is about, you know, U.S. foreign policy, but part of it is also reflected in anxieties back home where you have this this fear of what was called at the time Balkanization, the idea that the U.S. was starting to crack up and Mm. lose the the things that held it together. Arthur Schlesinger wrote this book called The Disuniting of the United States or The Disuniting of America, Mm. um, which got at exactly this, this idea that there's no longer a core to hold things together. Um, So Clinton is Mm. no doubt thinking about that as well. Yeah, and and he's not wrong to think that either. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is interesting to me because normally, you know, Clinton's MO is kind of like diplomacy and being articulate and savvy with his words and sort of knowing how to like connect with people and give these speeches, speeches that he's written himself, you know, like that to me is sort of like at least, you know, the Clinton that I'm familiar with. But this felt a little sloppy, you know, giving this speech in a moment where I felt like so close to an election just not a good idea. Like, I wish some aide had pulled him to the side and been like, bro, you don't want to do this. Like, like, I know you see, I know you feel like you're being benign, but this is not going to be read that fake, way. Fake an illness, stay home, don't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, do think, I do think, like, the, the, the stance he takes 
once he's there, I think it's probably pretty relatively savvy, right? I mean, whether, you know, you can argue whether it's moral or whatever, but like in terms of really trying to play it down the middle and say the right things and not ruffle too many feathers, especially given how this vote ends up playing out, this election, the no option, which is, okay, you know, a referendum on separatism or not, the no option wins by 50.58% of the votes. It's the highest voter turnout in Quebec's history. 93% of voters in Quebec turn Mm. out for this. And, you know, I think there had been referendums earlier that had been much wider gap towards let's let's stay as part of Canada but here it is super super tight so it's just even in some like basic level of Clinton saying well I don't want to pick a side because I'm not really sure which side's <laughs> going to end up winning this thing uh, yeah. it was savvy in that regard I suppose yeah and ultimately because of that razor thin margin there is some mm. sense that that Clinton's intervention uh, bland though it was mm. was actually useful in making sure that Mm. the um, separatists lost in that election. Um, Because, you know, it's it's not just that the U.S. is Canada's largest trading partner, the U.S. is Quebec's largest trading partner. And so that idea that, um, oh, the U.S. doesn't want this to happen, there might be consequences for us if this Mm. happens, was more kind of at the forefront of voters' minds. Um, I mean, you know, when it's that thin of a, a margin... There are a lot of things that are playing into the end results. And we got an email. One of the emails we got about this pointed out that somewhat recently, you know, in the last 10 years or so, some documents from the Clinton Presidential Library came out and they show that there was, Kelly, to your point, like a lot of back and forth about should we be going? What should we be going? How much should we do? But then there was also like game planning. And it was like, oh, gosh, Mm -hmm. if this vote passes and Quebec votes to secede, what does that mean? And, you know, I think the... The initial instinct was, well, we're not going to immediately let them into NAFTA. we got to figure this out. There's a relationship that's been long cultivated with Canada, and we can't just sort of patch these this new country in. But um, there was a little bit of that, you know, like, up, apparently up until, like, the night before, you know, some of these memos are, like, mm. going back and forth, still gaming out the scenarios. There was not a sort of, like, um, policy in place one way or mm. the other. They were sort of improvising a little bit. Um one other detail. I mentioned that Clinton could have faked an injury and not gone up. Did you see this? There's this other incredible detail. Oh, about- yes. <laughs> so, so the person who should have faked an injury, the person who should have canceled the meeting with Clinton is the Quebec separatist leader, Bouchard, who just days before had lost a leg to a flesh-eating bacteria. So you want the esoteric political history nestled in the story. We probably should have just led with that, that the Quebec separatist leader, a week before the vote, lost his leg to a flesh-eating bacteria Mm. in 1995. Guys, (laughs) that's my nightmare. That's my nightmare. Swimming in some sort of pond, catching some sort of bacteria. It's a nightmare. I don't like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I don't like it either. I think we can all get on that. But, uh, you know, he still showed up. He still showed up. He could have said, you know, I'm not having a good day yeah, right yeah. now. But he showed up. <laughs> it's true. Um, so as we wrap up, I did mention that, you know, we've gotten some nice emails from this, including one from, from someone, Jonathan, who emailed us. Actually, <laughs> I'm looking, is a couple of years ago, but it was in 2020. But, you know, he was saying, mm-hmm. I listened to your show and you talk a lot about moments in U.S. history, including, you know, this current one where it feels like, this crack up is is on the precipice, you know, and and he said, I have distinct memories of he lives in Western Canada. But, you know, I have distinct memories of a kind of this vote playing out. I was young. He was like 
this is one of my earliest political memories of this idea that, oh gosh, you know, this thing that I thought was stable can maybe just start to crack apart. Mm. I will say, though, there is part of me that in thinking about this story sees another side of it, which is, you know, we often play that game in this country of like, oh, what if we had a parliamentary system? What if we had lots of mm. different parties and factions? And what would that mean, you know? And would have Texas have seceded 20 years ago? Or mm-hmm. would like these little pockets of the country that seem so divided fall apart? And, you know, to me, this story in some way, and frankly, Ireland in some way shows that even within that very messy fractious system, like there is stability, right? Like mm-hmm. Canada hasn't broken up into a million parts for better or worse. Like Irish territory has stayed basically as it has for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just, it just gets me thinking. I'm curious if you have thoughts, but it just gets, got me thinking that like, it's tough to roll back something that has existed sort of in those, yeah. in those ways for, for a long, long time. And as close as we've come to civil war and fracturing and all that stuff, it actually hasn't happened. Yeah. There's that idea that all systems tend toward entropy, but Actually, stability and existing institutions hold on um, and only in very dramatic and abrupt moments, um, not only, but often only in dramatic Mm -hmm. and abrupt moments do they come to an end. I get it. It's like being the incumbent. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like people are just like more comfortable with the status quo than they are with change. Yeah, and I mean, even I, even if the status quo is problematic, totally, uh, we we tolerate a lot of things uh, over changing, right? And I mean, I guess you could read a vote that's that close as the one that happened in Quebec both ways, right? Which is one, oh, status quo prevailed, or gosh, given the bias towards status quo that, mm-hmm. we, that we're talking about here, for it to be that close sends a pretty strong message about, yeah, you know, it does. Um, especially given that, as I mentioned, previous votes have not been that close at all. So, you know, I th- and I do think like, at least, I mean, I was very young, I was pretty young when this happened, but like, I do remember even kind of in the conversation, at least in this country, it was more of a wake up call than it was a, oh, okay, Canada decided mm-hmm. to stay stable. You know, mm-hmm. it was more like, whoa, uh, this is a, this is a real thing to that we're, we're gonna have to keep an eye on um mm-hmm. all right well look uh i hope we did this justice and i and as i said there's all sorts of other threads here we have gotten other emails about um quebecois independence including you know kind of going back into the 60s and 70s and so forth so um we will return to it and maybe we'll find our canadian counterparts to do that but for now uh that's the end of the episode nicole hammer thanks to you as always Merci, Judy. Ah, <laughs> Kelly Carter-Jackson, thanks to you. Is it mon pleasure? You're the one that lived in Paris for a whole summer. True. I know, I think so. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. Okay, great. Support for this day in esoteric political history comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. 
To learn more, visit odoo.com slash this day. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash this day. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is, our democracy is broken. We can all feel it, and there's data to back it up, too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact, though? Money. You can call it lobbying. You can call it super PAC spending. You can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us podcast to find out more. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.